Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. We're at the 30th of 35 classes of our jhana review. Uh, this short sutta, the Yasa Sutta, subtitled Freedom from Entanglements, um, fits here because the reason why we develop jhana, why we develop jhana in seclusion is so that we can take that well-secluded mind that we establish on our cushion and take that seclusion out into the world so that we do not become entangled in the world and so called cause dukkha for ourselves and for others. Um, so there's a there's a kind of a, a fine line between a well-informed and a well-focused sangha. And then taking, um, making an identity over whatever groups you might be a part of and even following along with so-called spiritual practices because the group does it or the leader of that group says it's a good thing to do rather than finding through your own direct investigation whether this is helpful in developing your own understanding of dukkha um just a, a one paragraph from my introduction i'm not going to read the whole thing while the buddha always emphasized the importance of a well-informed and well-focused sangha he also taught that dharma practice depends on and flourishes in seclusion as in all things with the Buddha's teachings, the middle way is the guiding principle. So the, the middle way simply says um, that the middle way is a way that avoids extreme views of any kind, but it refers directly to the Eightfold Path. The Eightfold Path is the Buddha's middle way path. So when we integrate the Eightfold Path as our framework and guidance for moment-by-moment -moment living, we're good to go. We've established the guardrails that we need so that we don't become entangled in the world. The Yasa Sutta <clears throat> from the Angatara Nikaya. The Buddha was teaching in Ichinagala. The locals all knew of the Buddha as a rightly self-awakened. That's an important line that's repeated throughout the suttas. It means that the Buddha, Siddhartha Gautama, became self-awakened. He did it himself using the right method, rightly self-awakened. This human being who is unexcelled as a teacher, whose teachings are entirely useful and practical. They were a close-knit group who depended on the group for direction and guidance. And the Buddha understood this. He, he, he sized up the group. They prepared a feast with many delicacies for the Buddha and his Sangha. They approached the Buddha's dwelling and began making a noisy racket. So already the Buddha is getting pissed off. The Venerable Nagita was attending the Buddha. The Buddha asked Nagita what the racket was all about. Great teacher, those are the locals who have brought many delicacies to honor you and the Sangha. The Buddha replied, Nagita, I do not seek honor or recognition. Right? The Buddha never set himself up as a savior. He didn't set himself up as anything special. And he certainly didn't want to be worshipped because that's just another distraction. 
You know, when you worship someone or something or an ideology, you're saying that that person or the ideology is going to save you from something. Usually <laughs> something that you don't even know you need to be saved from. Then the Buddha said, whoever cannot obtain through their own understanding and with ease, as I do, the pleasure of renunciation, <coughs> excuse me, the pleasure of seclusion, the pleasure of peace, the pleasure of self-awakening, then let them consent to this common pleasure, this dulling pleasure, this pleasure born of, born of gain and of receiving offerings and fame. Great teacher, please relent now. The locals will follow you because of your virtue and understanding. Again, Nagita, I do not seek honor or recognition. Whoever cannot obtain through their own understanding and with ease, as I do, the pleasure of renunciation, the pleasure of seclusion, the pleasure of peace, the pleasure of self-awakening, let them consent to this common pleasure, this dulling pleasure, this pleasure born of gain and of receiving offerings of fame. Does everybody understand what I'm, what I'm referring to that, and why the Buddha is objectionable to the, um, to the mind state or the attitude of this particular group? Ram? Yeah. No, I get it. Well, can you explain it to me? Because I don't get it. Because <clears throat> so, it is so common <clears throat> to praise someone that you see as more accomplished than yourself, or um, as you said, it's going to it's going to save you somehow, and it and, and it it needs a, a a mindset that wants to be saved. Yeah, and um, <clears throat> it's the people that are. The Yasas that are doing this are basically downgrading themselves. They, they don't want to accept the fact that they're capable of awakening. Yeah, and their group think has gotten them to the to the collective mind state that will impress him with these delicacies and with this banquet that they made. And and, not, and in that way, they're acting in a coercive way. They're hoping to entangle the Buddha in their own group rather than just come and practice the, practice the Dhamma. The Buddha continues, there are many who are unable to develop the understanding with ease that leads to the pleasure of renunciation the pleasure of seclusion, the pleasure of peace, the pleasure of self-awakening. When people all live together, assemble together, and live committed to dwelling with a group that are unable to, they are, they are unable to develop understanding with ease, which is why they live together, assemble together, and live committed to dwelling with a group. The, the group think is giving them um, their... Uh, it's giving them their confirmation bias to just keep going. In other words, we're part of the group. The group is deciding this and deciding that. And, and that group think is what's guiding everything. And, of course, there's no seclusion there. 
there's really no um, critical thinking. It's just reactionary thinking and, and uh, creating a group think out of ideas and ideologies of what you might want things to be. And they hear of this Buddha, okay, let's impress him with who we are. And we'll bring him into our, we'll make him ours. It's almost the exact opposite of what the Sangha is. Yeah. Because it's almost like group craving. And even though we gather here twice a week, it's, it's all based on a very individual practice. Yeah. And I, I think you all would, you, you see that we emphasize that. A well-informed and well-focused Sangha is paramount to developing the Dhamma. But it, it doesn't mean that we should create an identity or that our group, and we say this often, or I say it often, this group is no better or anything than any other group. We're doing what we're doing because we want to do it. It doesn't set us apart or above anybody. I think that this is the most... Um, transformational and important teachings I've ever come across and I've looked a lot um, and it works. So that's enough for me. And again, we always talk about look for your own direct experience. How is Adama working for you? Not because we all get together on a Tuesday or a Saturday, like David said, and you know, we, we have, uh, we make this a social aspect of some kind of spiritual practice. So we might do just about anything. We might read poetry or, or paint pictures or uh, meditate on deities or, or do all kinds of things, do chanting. I spent many Sundays chanting in Sanskrit, not knowing what the hell I was doing or why I was doing it, but I did it because the whole group was doing it. And it, you know, it didn't, didn't do anything for me. Um, let me it's let just me, a natural consequence of being mindless. It, yeah, you're mindless. Thanks for saying that. It, then you are susceptible to tribal thinking. We're social creatures. We're, we're going to just fall into that kind of group mentality if we're not being mindful. Yeah. And that will just automatically happen. So just like awakening is a natural consequence of being mindful, sort of tribal thinking is a natural consequence of being mindless. Yeah, thanks for saying that. So that, that type of tribal mindfulness is mindless yeah. even though it might have a have a container for what they think about because they establish their own kind of loose guidelines usually mm -hmm. you know what we're going to do and how we're going to do it but all of it is based on this group think of i just want to be part of the group i want to yeah. be safe with the group i want to have certainty with the group yeah and i was part of a lot of, and and I mean, and I said it here before, I was part of a lot of different Buddhist groups and Buddhist lineages. I took a, took my vows in one. <coughs> and everybody was sincere. It wasn't like, you know, these people were insincere and trying to play a game on each other. They just didn't understand what they were doing. And that's what the Buddha is referring to here. It's subtle, but it's important. The Gita, when I see a community delighting in their interactions, laughing loudly, grabbing at one another, I know that they will not be able to develop the pleasure of renunciation, the pleasure of seclusion, the pleasure of peace, the pleasure of self-awakening, which is why they are delighting in their interactions, laughing loudly and grabbing at one another. I mean, all that, um, all that uh, excitement 
you can even call it a fabricated excitement, covers up the fact that the group is the distracting agent there. Right? Then there are those communities who revel in food, eating as much as they want, who take pleasure in sensory contact, pleasure in lying down, pleasure in dullness. I know that they will not be able to develop the pleasure of renunciation, the pleasure of seclusion, the pleasure of peace, the pleasure of self-awakening. Having eaten as much as they want, taking pleasure from <clears throat> sensory contact, from lying down in dullness. Then there are those who attempt to develop concentration in a community where disturbance is likely, such as a, a, a group of meditators that also have music playing in the background or some other distraction, incense burning all the time. This, I know, is not conducive to developing the Dhamma. But those that have found the root of a tree or an empty hut, well secluded, even though they may be drowsy, they will dispel their drowsiness and be mindful of their seclusion. Then there are those that have established seclusion and are not well concentrated. Meditating in seclusion will quickly develop concentration and will protect their concentration. They will end their distracted mind and be mindful of their seclusion. So eventually getting to the point of recognizing the importance of establishing seclusion on our cushion. Then there are those that have established seclusion and are well concentrated. They will develop clinging release, re release from clinging to wrong views. They have found the benefit from seclusion. That's the benefit of seclusion. Ending our clinging to wrong views, views ignorant of Four Noble Truths, views ignorant of what it means to be a human being. That's the benefit from seclusion. It has to be done as part of our Dharma practice. Nobody has to do anything. Uh, and that's why we suggest um, two-a-day sits using and listening to the guided uh, meditations from the website. Again, that continually reinforces the four foundations of mindfulness, especially as soon as I update the verbiage in there. But I'll get to that. The Buddha continues, then there are those that, that cling to a group and takes food, clothes, shelter, and recognition from the group and become enamored with the group. They do not establish seclusion and will not end distraction. The group becomes more important than their Dhammic practice. Nagita, then there are those well established in seclusion who receives food, clothes, shelter, and recognition from a group. Knowing the benefit of seclusion and restraint, no disturbance will arise in them. So the same situation, but the difference is that they've established seclusion. They've established the right method. And that's the end of the sutra. Did anybody, have, well, uh, it, I'm not going to ask the question. I, the count is important. There's a little bit more to the end of this, but I want to just stay on this. But there's two more um, short suttas that relate to this, if you want to listen to it. Um, <clears throat> so this idea of falling into a into groupthink um, and the counter to that being seclusion what we're really developing seclusion for is so that my mind, well-framed by the Eightfold Path, is secluded from the entanglements in the world, from the things that, that would entangle me if I didn't have concentration. 
And, and it's not just going out into the world. It's also clinging to, grasping after and clinging to ideas and ideologies that form tribes. Because all of those are a distraction. All of the, 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 the tribe think or the tribe ideas, the ideology that uh, it might just be a prevalent ideology. It's usually rooted in some form of salvation. that um, seems reasonable. But there's no way to be engaged in that type of thinking and also have a well-secluded mind. And, and as Jen always says, we train only for calm. You can't have a well-secluded and calm mind if you're always stuck in an idea or an ideology. What, is, what, what, could an, what good would an ideology be as far as our dollar practice is? This is not me. This is not mine. This is not what I am. <coughs> what I might I like taking my dog for uh, walks there's some really nice trails where I live I'm not, no, I don't walk away I take my scooter and he runs along with me um, and I find immense pleasure in that and it, it, I, it always calms me down a little bit I often find myself being mindful of my breath often but I don't teach that as practice, right? Because that would put into your minds that you got to have a dog and you got to have a motor scooter, like a mo mo mobility scooter, like I have, <laughs> right? Because it, it's the trappings of it, you know. And, and none of that is is part of Dharma practice. So why would I teach that? It's what I do. I do a lot of other things. You all have uh, a lot of pleasurable things that you do, but you understand it's not Dharma practice. Jen has an, an important yoga. Yoga practice is important to you. But she understands that there's a difference between yoga and Dhamma practice. So this isn't to be exclusionary, but it is to, to put a focus on you not falling into group think in any way, whether it's as part of your Dhamma practice or out into the world. So let's go around and we'll talk to the folks online first. Uh, hello, Tracy. You're up first. Good morning, John and everyone. Good. Thank you for the teaching. Um, it's incredible how this is always the case when I'm in class, but today was particularly timely. Um, I th So we were at retreat last week and I felt um, for the first time very clear um, in the path that I need to be on and it was, it was great, but then as the week went on and I was back to life and all the domains of my life, I was increasingly getting more and more confused and, you know, feeling suffering. And this morning I woke up and had a realization that it is because I'm clinging to these domains of my life in ways that are unhelpful, right? Sort of like a wandering, seeking looking for answers outside of myself that yep. I've been struggling this week a bit. And I think that for me, that is what this sutta is completely about. It's remembering that, um, you know, I have this desperate desire for like transformation, you know, I'm going to be 40. So it's that midlife crisis period. And what I kind of wrote down here is like transformation is totally the wrong word. Nothing's changing about me. It's just, it's just 
life, you know, and remembering the foundations of this practice of Four Noble Truths and impermanence is really all there is. And I see, I see, I see the, um, that the confusion and the grasping at groupthink and trying to be something that fits in with groups is very, very, very stressful. And so this was really timely and I appreciate you explaining it so well. Thank you. Yeah, we are becoming rightly self-awakened. We're doing it ourselves using the right method. And the only trick to it, and it, it really is the difficulty with the Dhamma, because we live in a world that is rooted in grasping after and clinging to, meaning no matter what you have, if you have, you know, if you have one brand new car, you got to have two. If you got a little meditation practice, well, maybe add this to it. It'd just be better. And you can't do that with the Buddha's Dhamma, you know, because it is the Eightfold Path is a limiting path, right? It limits how far we can go with our thinking. It, it helps us avoid extreme mm. views. That Why? So that we can remain calm, calm and well concentrated. For, to some people, that seems like kind of a waste of time. What, you know, what do I want to train for calm for? <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Tracy. Thank you. Dr. Kevin, Rev Kev. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for the teaching, John. It is timely for me, too. Um, you know, um, instead of attending the retreat, I had friends over for five days, whom I'm, I've known for a long time. So it was, uh, we were running around all over Philadelphia and restaurants and doing this and that. And um, I, it was hard to find seclusion. You know, every morning I did my best to have a sit, but I really missed the second sit almost each day they were here. And it, I just found myself becoming more agitated and, and it was harder to settle. So it's just, uh, I think uh, the Buddha might have been pissed too. <laughs> I remember the first time I that. really pissed. But now, when I look at it, too, I think this is just a really gentle reminder of how it should be. Thank you. Yeah, and Siddhartha Gautama never spend a long weekend with five friends, so he just wouldn't do it. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. Mr. Margatroyd, good to see you. Good how are morning. things in Florida? Things are great. Thank you. Thanks for asking. Um, I, uh, I, I wish I could say I was joy enjoying the pleasure of seclusion and not attending this song, not attending the Sangha recently, uh, or deepening my Dharma practice, but I have not, um, uh -oh. but I, uh, uh, hearing the Sutta today reminded me of when I started with this Sangha oh so many years ago, uh, there were some people in the group who wanted to, to, to incorporate rituals and, and, and go off in social causes and you are very vigilant about like saying no that's not appropriate and um Those thanks, tough for, terms. thanks for steering the ship in the right direction because i think also the saga needs a well-informed leader and you were that person thank you good to see you again 
please join us more often. <laughs> Dharma teacher Tom, good morning. Uh, morning, John, um, and morning, everyone, or afternoon from here. Um, yeah, just just like what Tracy said, the Dharma always meets you wherever you're at. As long as you're paying enough attention to it and, and sort of making the effort on your end during the class itself. Uh, and, and that was the same for me today. And it, it just reminded me. So, so I nowadays don't have a particularly sort of exciting social life. Um, and and I'm, I'm, I'm part of this sort of big group, WhatsApp group um, in Brighton. I live um, and of course everyone out was out for Halloween last night and people were sharing photos and um, and then I left a comment in the group chat this morning which I thought was going to be really funny <laughs> and there was like pure half an hour later no one responded no one said anything and it was pure <laughs> weed and I was like, oh, no, why the hell did I send that message? Maybe <laughs> and it, it was ridiculous, the amount of eye making going on. <laughs> the amount I had just created in my mind this idea that, you know, and it really, you know, where it says in the sort of, you know, when I see a community delighting in their interactions, laughing loudly, grabbing at one another, you know, they, they're not going to be able to develop the pleasure of renunciation. And I just noticed that so clearly in my life because I was, I wanted to be briefly part of something and I wanted to fit in and I wanted to be the funny one or whatever. And I had this excruciating half an hour where absolutely no one, no one. <laughs> <laughs> and then there is Duca. <laughs> exactly. Oh. It was utter Duca. And oh, eventually, God. eventually, of course, then someone did put uh, one of those mm. emojis laughing, blah, blah, blah. And then someone else said something. And then I sort, sort of, partially felt vindicated in that message but it was just this ridiculous sort of roller coaster that I'd create you know uh, emotional roller coaster I'd entirely fabricated for myself yeah. morning um and it and it, it did just remind me of that and it and it reminded me of you know the opportunity to be here <laughs> and just to have a quiet nice quiet weekend and connect to people around the dharma is is what matters right because there you don't have to I agree you know it's not about impressing people or whatever it's just about about finding finding peace um and and so yeah thank you um thanks john and thanks everyone for creating that space where i can do that and i i believe we can all we can all do that so yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you thanks for the teaching You're welcome Great and thank you for that. That was such a good example of what we're talking about today. You know, you, you did that all to yourself, but you also recognize that you did it all to yourself. And that gives you the power to, to not do it ever again. And, and Tom, you're a funny guy. You just are. <laughs> Don't encourage me. <laughs> I will a little bit. Tom, teacher Brian, what jokes do you have for us today? <laughs> Can't hear you. How about now? Yes, sir. All right. I've seen software conferences are jokes. Was that, was that a conference this week with a thousand people, all of whom were delighting in their interactions? 
laughing loudly, drinking, partying, and just to be, just to, have, just to have developed that seclusion of mind to be in the middle of that chaos and seeing the, the joy of renunciation in my own life and being able to walk out of that event and just go back to my hotel room and sit <laughs> and not yeah. need to stay and, and, and deal with all of that madness and emptiness it's just so hollow all of it and it's it's us who puts all the value on those interactions and that delight and it's it it's just not there and so i'm i'm thankful for this practice i'm thankful that it has taken root and that i can go through my life and go to these events and turn around and fly to london on tuesday and do it again I'll see you soon, Tom. <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you, Brian. And just FYI, um, Tom and Brian are collaborating on a brand new uh, Dharma class. It's going to be Zoomed on Monday afternoons at 3 o'clock, I believe. Yep. 3 o'clock Eastern, 8 o'clock UK time. Yep. Yeah. Uh, November 6th, I think, is the start date. So. To, all of to us come. that are free, let's support, let's support those two great Dhamma teachers. Thank you all. The links on the website, or in, yeah, in I'll the put newsletter. I'll put all the info in the in the newsletter as soon as these guys give it to me. <clears throat> uh, it'll be three o'clock on Monday afternoons, but I'll I'll get all the information in the newsletter as soon as soon as I get it. Are you in any rush to get out of here? Um, yeah. Ten o'clock. Let's hear what you got to say. Is wrong. Um, yeah, this if I look back and see how much time that I've spent uh, either being in groups or looking for groups to be a part of. Mm -hmm. You were a part of a big one too. Yeah. Worldwide. Part, yeah. Movement. You know, I was I was the man. I was you know this and not that I was the man in the group, but you know, being the, the so-called satisfaction that comes with being part of a a well regarded group mm -hmm. um, is is very um, enticing. Um, and you know, I, I didn't even leave it by my own free will. It just dissolved. Um, and I, I spent decades missing it. And, uh, and I spent decades looking for other ways to become part of the group. My wife and I spent years looking for so-called intentional communities. Um, and they all fell apart on, on those uh, for the same reasons that if there was a, a guiding principle or a guiding person, I had no desire to, to join that, mm -hmm. you know, although it was a group and it, and it was a community. Um, it then came with that anchor chain. Um, and again, it wasn't until 
I felt that its practice, where the practice itself was dissatisfaction, and um, the, the guiding point in my life, that I finally gave up looking for this, you know, the group thing, and, and, and I, I enjoy it, the community of, of Frenchtown, for instance, uh, and I enjoy, you know, the community of my work environment. But for the rest, you know, I'm, I'm happy in my in my secluded life. Good. Nice, isn't it? Thank you. Let's see what Let's go to Raquel. Right behind, right behind Cody. Thanks, Cody. Okay, Cody. <laughs> How are you, Raquel? And I have to say that's Zach's Not accepting and uh, wishing that things were different. Mm. But, you know, in thinking it's not fair, it's not, you know, why, why him, such a wonderful person, so dedicated to his family. But, you know, was, um, I, I was able to, a little bit, not as much as I would like to. Uh, to keep a little bit of peace to the fact that thinking that um, <coughs> it's darker by life, it's, it's oh. out of life. Mm -hmm. uh, you will know, you know, watch this. Yeah. But and then your mind, you know, this morning, and you're not having the the right feeling to uh, But the practice here and what you said today remind me that even though collectively is a, is a, is a group as a family, we are trying to make things different <coughs> and not accepting the situation. Uh, we need to uh, I guess. I don't know if I express myself well. I think you've expressed but, yourself very well. Mm -hmm. But that's, uh, I think that's that my correlation with your evolution today. Yeah. Thank you, Raquel. The, the Buddha described human life as dukkha. He didn't <laughs> say that, like, that it could be avoided or that even it was even a reasonable goal to try to avoid dukkha and he characterized dukkha this way birth is dukkha having a human life just getting born is prone to dukkha it's going to be tough at times and then he said sickness is dukkha you know? aging is dukkha death is dukkha 
Not getting what you want is dukkha. Getting what you don't want is dukkha. So everything in life is tinged by that first noble truth. That's why it's way up there. It's the biggest one. But it doesn't mean that human life itself has to be miserable. Or even when something like this happens, that the group needs to be miserable. Of course, you're concerned. And you should be. You know, we're human beings. If I heard it, uh, when you said nephew, I was thinking of my nephew, Corey. I have a bunch of them. I go to Corey. Gee, what if he had cancer? It would be awful. But we accept it. You know, as Dower practitioners, we accept it. That doesn't mean we approve of it. But we accept it because it's what's occurring. It's insanity to think that something should be different than it is because here it is. You know, does that make sense to you? So, and you also said it's not fair. It isn't. But life, human life is not fair. You know, if, if human life was fair, there wouldn't be dukkha. <laughs> you know, everything would be the same. And actually, I think if life was was fair for every single human being, it'd be an incredibly boring experience because nothing could ever happen to me or you. So, you know, human life is just dukkha. But we're here as human beings to live it fully by being present with whatever is occurring. And that includes some unpleasant times as well. But in order to, you know, in order to see the beautiful sunset, sometimes there's got to be rain, you know. In order to have a, a, a meaningful relationship with someone, most people have to go through a couple of relationships that aren't so good. There's all kinds of, of variables in, in every human life. But we can understand the common thread, there is dukkha. And so by understanding that, by understanding um, what not understanding dukkha did to me, and now understanding that, I can truly understand another person's suffering. And I can know what to do about it, which is often nothing except being present, because there's not much more that we can do. Thank you, Raquel. Julia. <clears throat> yeah. Um, this sutta had me thinking a lot about the concept of identity, which I think is very popular out in society and how that comes up against not self. Mm -hmm. um, and I think lots of communities and group think it's all about where do I fit and how do I relate to this world? What is my, what is the ideology that defines me, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like outside of the Dhamma, there's so much pressure. You talk a lot about John talks a lot about um, understanding what it means to be a human, but I feel like outside of the Dhamma, there's a lot of like, what does it mean to be me? Who am I? Mm -hmm. And I, this sutta illuminated me, for me the distinction between the two very clearly. Yeah. Um, the one thing that I'm still wrestling with, I appreciate the Dhamma and like being able to set that need for identity and definition aside, but um, 
we're still relatively new to Frenchtown and to community outside of where we came from. Like for me, all my friends are, my closest friends are from college. Mm -hmm. And, you know, other things that define my identity outside the Dhamma, how I see X, who I relate to about Y, the type of food I like to eat, the type of movies I like to watch. Um, when my friends don't have the same appreciation for not self that I have developed through this practice or the same appreciation for the idea of suffering <clears throat> or just the whole the whole thing. Um, it's hard. It's not like I feel like I'm losing closeness to people who are so important to me, but when your whole worldview changes so much for the better through this practice, it creates for me a different relationship fundamentally. Mm -hmm. And I struggle with that difference, I think. I don't like to feel further away from my friends or feel, I don't know, I just, I think I share that just in case anybody else can. No, I think we all can relate to it. And that is uh, when the Buddha, the Buddha, uh, the Buddha was a prince in his father's kingdom. He had everything any kid could want. And his father actually always was lavishing young Siddhartha as he grew up, thinking that if I can just make him see how wonderful palace life is, he'll never leave. And of course, he left. And he always referred back to that life as a confining place, a constricting place. And so he, he went forth from home to homelessness <clears throat> in order to develop this Dhamma. And many of those people, and all the people in the original Sangha did the same thing. Now, he also taught householders to practice the Dhamma. But it's much harder to practice the Dhamma as a householder than it is as a as a monk or a nun, it just is because you're you're disentangled from the world physically, uh, for the most part. So you're doing something um, that is heroic, meaning for heroic for yourself because it is difficult, and you can feel, especially in the beginning, that you are losing touch. But really what you're learning to be is much more present, but not much more present, but not so excited. Right. <laughs> and, and that's really a good thing. You know, that excitement is also stress, isn't it? And so to be able to establish seclusion and in a, an inner poise and a prevailing calm in all that social excitement is only a benefit to everybody there, but especially you. So it takes a little bit of getting used to, to be, have a mind that's well secluded and still be um, socially active. But I think you're going to find that being mindfully present with people is a far more rewarding experience than just looking for the social hooks, you know. Um, but give yourself some time and be very, very gentle with yourself because it, it is, it's a, it's a difficult thing. Um, to live in the world and not be entangled in the world. It just, it just is. You know? So that's why we need uh, twice a day meditation, at least. 
um, and a lot of class. No, I mean, we, we need, I mean, I have a lot of class. But. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's important, and this, this suit that kind of points to it too, to do the best we can, but understand that we're all living a human life. We all have, you know, responsibilities and duties, et cetera, et cetera. But we do the best we can. <laughs> Your face is like. Oh, yeah. I thought it was a, the invisible man is here. <laughs> I forgot that Ron was lurking about. Thank you, Julia. Bridget. I'm glad you're here. Hello, Adam. Morning, friends. Um, <clears throat> two sh really short things. Um, back when I was engaged with modern Buddhism a long time ago, part of my struggle was that it was seemed to be all about the celebrities oh, yeah. involved, yeah. whether they were teachers or <laughs> you know actual celebrities or whatever. It was always about those people and you know put them up on a pedestal. It's just it's so hard to reconcile that with with you know sitting and, and breathing. <laughs> so, yeah. It made no sense, which is why I struggled so long to establish a real practice until I, until I came here. Um, I think that's kind of what's what the Buddha's referring to. Like, don't put me on a pedestal. You know, no. that makes a cult of personality. The other thing was um, the idea of seclusion within the group, um, I think, is uh, a, a powerful idea. You know, that there's this group part that I'm doing right now, really, that's super helpful and a yeah. great part of learning and practice <clears throat> um but when we're sitting here on our, on our on our cushions it's that that's a seclusion and that's a um yeah you know find a secluded place and it's, it's it's you it's not you know it's i guess it's good also to go sit under a tree or find a quiet place elsewhere or not here in the sangha but when we are here it's still about the seclusion of yourself yeah mm -hmm. and i mean being a cushion and that was a powerful idea yeah. so, Thank you for sharing that, man. Becky, welcome back. Thank you. Thank Super you. Becky. <laughs> Thank you for the teaching, John. Um, yeah, the, the idea of seclusion uh, when you're off your cushion and what, uh, Julia? Julia. Mm -hmm. Was saying about feeling like you're not sort of, I don't know if the word's relating the way you used to or whatever. I just, I've been in those situations since I started practicing and I just feel like having that Eightfold Path guardrails <clears throat> on is really such a wonderful thing to inform you when you are in a group of a lot of different people who you, who you love and you want to, you know, you, you want to be cool, you want whatever. <laughs> but you just, if you just be mindful of those guardrails, you can, you can really 
be present and and it it's much less difficult it's much less stressful yeah so that that was about that and then just about what happened to me and since it happened um it's very overwhelming. I, I think I've realized what I have to do is just be with it for a while. So when I, when I start to meditate or even when my mind is just relaxed, the first thing that comes into it is that. I just go into that rabbit hole. Mm. Is it going to happen again? What's going to happen? Da, da, da. And... I've been trying, what I've been doing is just sort of taking a breath, but really rather than just trying to be with those fears, I've been like somehow I feel like I need to be with them in order for them to pass away. Yeah. What you're doing is what becoming I, familiar I, with something. What I'm doing is is trying to not be with them, which you know what I mean. Yeah, and it, it's like it's almost like we say at the end of meditation: "Be at peace with your mind." It's your mind. Be at peace with the fear. It's your fear. It's not right or wrong, and it's it's also reasonable, isn't it, to have some fear after something like that? Yeah, and. Uh, and, and just understand that all of that is just part of the human experience. You know, of course you, you know, wouldn't want it to happen, but it happened. I feel like my, it was my mind, and now it's having to recalibrate. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, but you're in the right place for that too, aren't you? you know? Yes. Yeah. So, and we all got to express our love for you. That was, that was wonderful. Yeah, was. That was wonderful to have. Wonderful. Yeah. For both of us. Yeah. For all of us. Now, just on a lighter note, is Tom still there? Hey, Tom. <laughs> He's right there. Hey, Tom. I just wanted to tell you that to this day, I remember when we were at retreat, and it was the final night, mm -hmm. and everyone was talking about their experience and crying. And it came to your turn, <laughs> and me. you said, well, I'm not going to cry because I'm British. <laughs> that was so funny. So you are funny. <laughs> so funny. I think I saw a tear there. <laughs> How are you, Mark? What's that, Tom? No, I was going to say, I think a tear did escape at some point, but let's let, let's not go there. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> okay, funny Tom. See you, Adam. Bye, Adam. Always a pleasure to see you. Bye, Adam. Thank you. How are you, Mark? Thank you for your teaching. Um, super important uh, sutta, mm -hmm. in my opinion. Um, <clears throat> I think it touches on one of the things that I that I consider very important, uh, and that is like the way our minds are wired, our brains are wired, is you know 
the way I see world is that it's 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 rooted in development of our society. It's basically evolution of the society, and we have been wired for millennia to uh, worship one thing or another: the leaders, the deities, the idols. Um, And um, many parts of the world still do it, still exploit that. So, um, yeah, so to be able to use Dhamma to, um, to escape that, to escape something that we are hardwired for, uh, is a great, uh, it's a great technique. Yeah. It's a great way to do that. Um, yeah, not, and clearly we, we all benefit and enjoy deeply, most of the people anyway, interaction with other people and groups and, and so forth, but there has to be a balance, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like somebody said, you know, I just get together, it's like very hollow, yes, they are, <laughs> and a waste of time. Mm-hmm. And... I, I know some people that, are, that spend all of their time in company of others. And I think because, oh, yeah. because they probably cannot stand being by themselves mm-hmm. and listening to that inner voice. Um, so um, a, lot of, a lot of important points. So, I mean, going back to that, you know, not worshiping or not like, that, that desire of um, almost an instinctual desire to be part of the group and worship one day or another. Um, basically shifting, I think, the, shifting your responsibility for yourself to somebody else. Until, like, okay, make a decision for me. Or, you know, life is just the life and, and world is just too complex. Just give me something to follow blindly. And I don't know, something I cannot explain. Yeah, and and you're but and you're right. I, I wouldn't use the word hardwired, I would use condition, but that's Almost everybody that I've ever met was conditioned or hardwired to believe they needed some type of salvation or that they needed something to make them other than what they were or are. I'm glad you brought this up. That's that's exactly that's another key point that I want that I want to mention. This whole thing about salvation um, is such a psychological trap that. Um, Frankly, I feel sorry people that fall into that trap, and I would encourage everybody to try to avoid it. Well, that's that's the first noble truth. You know, the, the, again, the, the, there's uh, century-long traditions in some many religions. You know, they just they just keep going, and there's nothing wrong with religions when you understand dukkha. You know. People do it. My, my mother was a devout Roman Catholic her whole life. My father was a less so devout, but still a Catholic. Um, 
the early influences that that had on me were, were just mostly fear and confusion. But it was designed that way. I mean, at least the way it was presented, you're supposed to fear God, and, you know, all that stuff. But at, at some point, we start making decisions based on, if we're, if we're fortunate enough, we start making decisions based on what, what's in the best interest of my quality of mind my mind and we take care of it and that's what the Dhamma gives us the way to become familiar with our minds and to take care of it on a daily basis you know that's really just what we're doing so that we can establish calm thank you Mark hello Zach I find myself a little resistant to the language in the sutta, but then comes in the power of the sangha because the sutta seems very extreme to me, but the experience is uh, here around the room and reflecting on my own experience make me appreciate how uh, how true those words are. Yeah. Thank you, Zach. Uh, let's go to Cody. How are you, Cody? Good to see you this morning. You too. Thank you for John. And um, yeah, um, I agree with everything that everyone said because uh, I'm a good member of the group. That's <laughs> um, there's a lot. There's a lot. A lot there as a. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm considering what you said about the middle way. And um, we're all householders. We're all, we all live in a society. We're all part of groups, mm -hmm. whether we want to acknowledge that or not. Um, and um, I crave social interaction i crave connection with people i become very attached to that and i can experience profound loneliness because of it um, did you hear what you just said that because of your strong connection to social groups you experience extreme loneliness oh yeah it, it, you know, so you, there is dukkha yeah it, and it, and it again it's not I'm just pointing that out for the whole group too to recognize that. That's that's dukkha. It's self-created dukkha that you're describing. Mm -hmm. It's not wrong. You know, you're not doing something wrong. It's yeah. I mean, um, it's yeah. Like you said, it's dukkha. Um, it's um, but like there's that that middle way, which is you know you establish seclusion, yeah. and you. <clears throat> I still am looking for. Um, maybe it's the foundation, like the right word, but like the in, in seclusion, you establish that um, foundation for yourself. And we spend a lot of time talking about this is not me, this is not mine. Um, this identity, you know, isn't isn't really important. It's a fabrication. But then there is a deeper identity that we experience. 
Um, maybe it's just that of being human or being comfortable with being human, being familiar with our own mind. But I, yeah, I think that's that's approaching sanity now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is. <laughs> Getting close. Yeah. 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 Um, but then uh, you know, I, I I can I can take that with me, and I can go to a dinner, throw a party, be you know, be in a group or um, be amongst people and not crave connection and not experience profound loneliness, <laughs> yeah. right? Because now I have, now I'm comfortable with myself, now I'm familiar with, with who I am yeah. and I don't need to draw that from you. I'm not looking for something from you that you can't give me or provide for me or from yeah. the group or from society or from recovery or from what have you. Yeah. Um, and I can, and I was, I relate extremely to what Julia was saying about um, <clears throat> being amongst friends, wanting to relate, wanting to connect. Um, and, um, also feeling a little detached and um, trying to view that detachment in a healthy way. Yeah. But it I'm, I'm, I'm getting used to it. Still, um, still a struggle, especially with my family. Yeah. That's, that's what's, what's occurring to me in this. And that's, you know, one of the seven factors of awakening is perseverance. And so, that, again, all that, all that, what we all need is just perseverance because you're, the way you're looking at yourself and your relationships now is, is completely different than it was a few months ago. And so you're, you're beginning to understand it, but it, that's what practice is for. You're, you have to experience what you're experiencing it, what, what, what you're experiencing so you know what you know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, you, you have to have a, it's a level of concentration to understand what the process that you're going through. Mm -hmm. And you're, you are because you described it very well. Thank you. It's Laura. Thank you, John. Yeah, it's really helpful hearing everyone's insight today very much um thank you john would you say that you know to cody's and julia's point about how difficult it is kind of sometimes to be in the company of other people especially if they have a different totally different world view but i don't know over the past you know the more that i do this the practice of seclusion and calm and peace on the cushion and that work I don't know if I'm developing, hopefully not a coldness or numbness towards like, you know, friends who I used to be very clingy with, um, but I just feel, you know, I'm able to kind of just be very much in their presence. Mm -hmm. And even if they might be saying things that like about religion or politics that are coming up, it's still not always, of course, but it's just like that really keen awareness and just, presence with them, but I don't have to identify or cling to what they're saying. It's just like this. And it can still be, 
I don't know how to describe it, like a beautiful moment with that person, but you know, whether it's a family member, you know, because both my parents are very religious and um, I have some friends that are too, but I don't know, it can still be a beautiful yeah. moment, but I'm still in that just, I'm hearing what they're saying and I appreciate it, but it's just like this beautiful piece, you know, not always, but more so now <laughs> with the practice. So. Because you're fully in that moment. Because. Yeah. And you're sovereign. You're, you're, you're yourself, you know. Right, right. You're just yeah. like, I don't know how to, maybe it really comes back to what we do on the cushion or chair, you know, just that yeah. seclusion. I mean, I see why at first I was like so annoyed when you'd be like twice a day, <laughs> like stop saying that. <laughs> Damn it. Well, especially, but, I, I, I was are. calling her twice a day too. So <laughs> <I don't worry. laughs> Time to meditate more. And, you know, sometimes I can't because of whatever, you know, lack of discipline, but it's like, you know. Nobody else here has lack of, right. occasional lack of discipline. And we were describing with Brian. Right, but it's not like, a, well, sometimes people can be really annoying and you're like, oh, I want to leave this group, but, you know, especially with those, like Julie and Cody were saying, like friends or family yeah. members, you know, you can still be, you don't have to cling to it in a way like it's like you're clinging to I, I used to like cling to the past like my past relationship with mm -hmm. this girl I grew up with like we were best friends and then you know that causes a lot of suffering but because of impermanence like it's just the way we are with each other now has evolved into something different and I can just appreciate that you know evolution rather than cling to the way it used to be, you know. Another example of impermanence, right? Right, right. Right, we just evolved into being together in a different way. It's like, okay, it's good. Yeah. Thank you, Laura. Laura's uh, fall concert is November 26th, correct? Uh, the 18th, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's why I said November 18th. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's November 18th uh, in Princeton. Um, those that don't know, that haven't been there yet, Laura's part of this group that sings in a method or a technique called polyphony. And you, I'm, I'm, I'm not often brought to tears. You all know that. It's hard if you never see me crying. <laughs> Uh, but after the first concert, I was just standing there in tears. I was going to cry about that. It really was some of the most beautiful singing I've ever heard in my life. And the, the venue um, contributes to it. I mean, the, the acoustics are great there. Um, but it really, it's just a beautiful, beautiful evening. Um, so I encourage you all to attend. And those of us that uh, can establish seclusion and still be in a group. We're going to be going to Yaya Noodles <laughs> for, for dinner before. So uh, I'll put your some favorite in. Place. Yeah, well, one of your favorite places. One of my favorite places. It's good. Uh, <laughs> I, I crave after. It's actually in, in uh, just uh, north Skillman? of Princeton. Uh, what's Skillman. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Friday. Saturday. Friday or Saturday? Saturday. 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 Yeah. It's on my calendar right it's really, it's, it, yeah, November 26th, but we'll make it the 18th. Uh, <laughs> Stop it, saying the 26th. We're, we're all, all going to miss it. Uh, 
yeah, and please, I mean, if you can join us for dinner and, and it's just a fun night, we'll all be, you know, we all, we don't sit at the same table. We sit all around the restaurant. We'll have fun. If we, if we miss it on the 18th, will you do it again on the 26th? Yes. <laughs> we can arrange something. Thank you, Laura. Her and the hundred dollar piece. Oh, a teacher, Jen. Hi. Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, Some people to get too calm. Yeah. yeah. Word. Um, it's good to be here. Uh, yeah. Echoing what mom said. Really so helpful to go through um, mom being in the hospital uh, with after having like be essentially being on retreat. You know, our minds were, my mind was in, after Friday night, very mindful and able to just be fully present through that whole experience, which was a much more skillful, um, you know, just, it's just so much better, so much better to just be fully present with and mindful because whether it's like just being able to sit down and have a cry when it's time, you know, and the fear and the whatever comes up, or if it's, you know, being able to like ask the doctor the right kinds of questions yeah, because yeah, you're not, great. you know, just so distracted by like, you know, aversion. Yeah. Um, and to, and so so there's that. So I just want to just really like thank you everyone. Really like I felt I felt everyone's love in you know I just it just really buoyed me so much. So thank you very much everyone. <laughs> just can't even I can't even express. So you are that that leads me into like kind of like the discussion that's been bouncing around the room, which is like. You know, it's not like the Buddha is saying, don't be in a group. Don't, don't have um, interactions with other people. He's just saying, be mindful. Right. Because if you are mindful in your groups and with your people, it's much more skillful, peaceful, pleasant, and you don't carry that group interaction with you into the future or lament the past after you, you know, once you are once again in seclusion. So, you know, I think like when you're in a group and you're being mindless, you're going to automatically look for the group to yeah. provide impermanent phenomena that you can use to define yourself. Yeah. And You're really is, asking the group for that distraction. Is, that is suffering. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And even when we are practicing um, and then we get into a group, when our people are doing things that even within the context of the Dhamma, we can see is causing their suffering, that can be a distraction. Yeah. We can become frustrated and develop aversion to what is occurring 
and how they're being. And that is further distraction. And that's when we get confused and start to un not understand our interaction and, and think that we're, you know, needing to change something in ourselves or feeling like we need to, you know, we're, we're distancing ourselves from our people. And it's just, a, it's just aversion. It's just frustration. It will pass and like, just continue to practice more likely to regain your mindfulness in those moments. Yeah. So thanks everybody. Well said, Jen. Thank you. Dollar teacher David. Just like a natural leveling of the water level as your practice matures. Equanimity. And that's what it is. And like Julie was describing this like detachment and like feeling distant. And that's like kind of like that early phases of like, oh, this is I understand this. Yeah. But that's aversion. It's craving for it to be different. But then as it matures, you start being able to do what you just described. Mm -hmm. and what Brian described. And I think even Brian would admit that he was experiencing aversion. He's recognizing it. But as his practice develops, he'll just be able to be there and to be present and to what is cognized is cognized. And that's the beauty of it just matures and happens. It doesn't you can't force it. But you know I did that. I was like isolated, super like conquered down and you know, really became distant to the family and Mary and then you just realized, you know, that's not what it's about. It's about doing this practice and letting it mature. And then the things that you are describing will be softer. And you'll be able to do what you're doing and not seeing that that's something that you're giving up. It's just changing. So it's just changing. Just changing. <laughs> Thank you, David. I'll remember this Yikes, what happened to your hair? Um, does anybody have any questions or comments before we finish with Meta? And uh, November 18th, please mark that down. I'll have info in the, in the tomorrow, Monday's newsletter. And uh, also all the retreat talks have been posted. They've been posted since last Sunday. So if you want to catch up on that, or listen to them again. Uh, they're all on the website and linked in the email. All right, we'll finish with Meta as we always do. What time is the concert? 7.30. Yeah, so dinner around 5.30. Yaya -ya noodles. But uh, Laura, don't they have other groups in the uh, same day? No. No? Just this one. It's a full. How long is the concert? About two hours. Uh, thank you with your mission about two hours. Like, if you get tired or don't like it, you can leave during the mission. <laughs> <laughs> no, you'll, you won't, you won't leave. Personally, it's not no, Nobody's going to leave. One of my friends. <laughs> you have to get by me if you leave. What did you say, Laura? No, no, one of my friends left during intermission because he was just like 
super tired and pulling his sleeve. No offense taken. That's fine. <laughs> okay, take a take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath. And let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddha's words from the Karaniya Metta Sutta describing the qualities of an awakened human being. This is what is done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. They are able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied. They remain unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways. They are peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. They do not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. They are always mindful that all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born. They are always mindful to not deceive another or despise any being in any state. They abandon anger and ill will with ease, never wishing harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart, the wise disciple cherishes all living beings. They radiate kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, they maintain refined mindfulness. This is said to be the sublime abiding by not holding to fixed views, the pure heart of one, having clarity of vision being freed from all sense desires, having completed the path, does not give birth to another moment rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths. Thank you for a wonderful class today. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming buddha Dot com. Thank you. Peace.